The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. My guest today graduated from Arlington Baptist College back in 1985. She was a little younger than me. I'm class of 82. <laughs> and uh, worked as a youth pastor and associate pastor at Myers Road Baptist Church in Grand Prairie, Texas, when he first got out of school. He then moved to Katy in 1994 to start Cornerstone Baptist Church. Needing additional income, he began visiting the Harris County Jail inmates to preach and counsel the prison population there. And in 2002, he accepted a Fort Bend County chaplaincy full-time job, and he has been leading the full jail chaplaincy ministry for the last six years, serving an inmate population of 740 prisoners now. In my humble opinion, this man is a saint. He has worked for 20 years with a smile and a positive attitude, serving and ministering to the least, the lost, and the last. Much of his ministry has been one-on-one for the last few years due to the COVID protocols, so this man has intimate knowledge of what the incarcerated wrestle with most. Chaplain Alan Hatfield, welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thank you, David. It's good to be here, and I appreciate you having me on your program. Again, thank you for what you do out there trying to help help these uh, men and, and women, right? You, and you, women. In the, uh, in the county jail. So I'm sure most of our listeners out there are wondering what first led you to this kind of ministry. And, you know, I've thought about, like, the Kairos programs and Bill Glass prison ministries and things. And, you know, people have apprehensions about, you know, being in jail, you know, especially if you've never been in one, and then being locked in with people. And so were you anxious, you know, initially about being locked up with criminals? I was. That You know, it's hard to hear those doors close sometimes. And um, uh, so I was a little anxious, and but— uh, after going to Harris County and preaching, uh, you find that God gave me a heart for the inmates. And I realized that uh, these men, a lot of them have never heard the gospel. And so there was no other really path for them to take but crime and, and what they've learned in in uh, society. And so uh, it was it was uh, something that God led me to, to have a heart for and, and uh, appreciate being able to go into the jails. Yeah, so full-time for 20 years now. So, you know, as, as we said at the beginning, you began in the Harris County jail system. I've had to go down there and bail someone out at, at a bad time of year, and it was a bad place. <laughs> um, it's not a good place. Now, how does it compare with Fort Bend County? You know, is there, like, urban versus more rural population or more violent offenders uh, in Harris County? Well, people are people, and uh, we we have anywhere from murderers to rapists to people that just uh, didn't pay a traffic ticket in our jail, and and you find that in Harris County, it's it's the same. It's uh, sin gets in people's lives and changes them, and and um, it's um, it's hard to realize that uh, it is part part of a family uh, culture, crime, and. Uh, but it's it's rapid. Harris County has ten over ten thousand inmates. Wow! 
And um, we, at the time I started, only had uh, around 320. And But it's grown. Fort Bend County was one of the fastest-growing counties in Texas. Right. And, um, and, of course, with growth of the county, uh, the growth of crime comes. And sure. so it was a great opportunity, though, for me um, to be able to, to minister to these men and women. Mm-hmm. That's handy. So, Alan, you know, when we had lunch, uh, I asked you, what does the jail population wrestle with most? And you said that for many of your inmates, it was family culture, like you just mentioned a moment mm-hmm. ago. But please tell our listeners about the young man who was threatening to jump off a ledge and how the officers were aware that he had actually several relatives in the jail who could be summoned to speak with him. Why don't you relate to that family culture? Yes, we, we find that crime is, is um, it runs rampant in the families. Uh, many of the fathers are in jail or prison. Uh, sometimes moms are incarcerated. Uh, many of the men in jail have grown up without a dad uh, in the home and sometimes are raised uh, by their moms or just their grandmothers. Uh, we did have a man that was uh, threatening suicide by jumping off a ledge. And um, and so they they were trying to talk him down, and, and uh, even the sheriff— uh, Wright came in to talk him down, and and they called me, and uh, I talked to him, and he was basically wanting to just call his grandmother. That's who had raised him, and she was in the hospital, and they weren't going to be able to allow him to call, and um, you can't um, give give someone something good just from trying to do something bad, and so right. uh, the sheriff informed him that he wasn't going to uh, call his grandmother, and so... They they asked me about um, you know who who in here knows him and and of course he had he had two brothers in jail uh, his uncle was in jail at the same time uh, his dad was in prison and so uh, they did get his uncle his uncle came and talked to him but he still uh, didn't want to come down and so they. They threatened to shoot him down with bean bags, and uh, he finally they put some mats on the on the ground, and and um, he finally just came down, jumped down on the mats, and uh, everything was safe. But uh, we did call his grandmother and and um, got to talk with her and minister to her, and uh, she was really worried about him. But it was uh, it was just a trying time in his life, uh, being in jail, and it was. Part of that family culture. Yeah, two, that, two brothers, an uncle, two brothers and then his dad was in another a, a prison. You know the state, yes, sir. state system. Yes, sir. Wow, that's uh, that's heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only way to say that. You know that that everybody's uh, just serving time as part of this culture. In yeah. fact, you know you you said the uh, this family pattern or culture of lawlessness. You know where they just don't really want to obey the law, or they I don't I don't know how to describe that best, but it sounds like a very difficult thing to escape from. We've, we've had uh, grandpas and dads and sons in our jail at the same time. Uh, the grandpa was over 70. Wow. And uh, had got caught shoplifting. And, um, and it, it's just sad because you could see that this young man uh, who was in his 20s had grown up in that kind of culture uh, and, and couldn't escape it. He couldn't escape it. Well, I was reading a, a couple of articles about this and about really kind of the psychology. So Derek Thompson writes in The Atlantic, all too many 
ordinary young men lack any kind of common vision for a moral, meaningful life. You know, so how do you witness and, and minister to those folks who are lacking this common vision for a moral, meaningful life? Yeah, the only only thing that I've found, and I believe is the only thing to stop this cycle of lawlessness, is to introduce them to Jesus. Uh, we hand out around 110 Bibles each month. Uh, we hand out Bible studies. We have Bible studies with the men. Uh, we meet with them one-on-one. Uh, we have church services, uh, of course, before COVID that volunteers would come in and and uh, hold a church service and basically tell these men and women that God loves them. Uh, he wants a better life for them. Uh, they've, they've grown up with this family culture of, of uh, you know, thinking that because they're born in America, sometimes they think they're, they're Christian, but uh, they've grown up without the real true message of the gospel and so we have we have opportunities to to tell them because I believe Jesus is the only one that can set them free. Right. And, well, all of us really, right. all of us. That's 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 certainly true. So, uh, you know, what? A, how about a success story with our listeners? You know, you told me about a man named Wayne that you helped counsel when he was in, and he was an inmate, and, and then later he contacted you after he got out because he wanted to help other homeless people. So why don't you tell us a little yes, success uh, story? Wayne Wayne was uh, it's one of our success stories. And mm-hmm. just to share with you, Wayne was a big, um, burly guy. He was, he was um, if you met him on the street, you'd kind of be scared because he was that big and, and just looked rough. Um, I believe he was in jail for assault. And um, But I was able to talk to him and witness to him, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And uh, he got out a few months later out of the jail. And um, and a few months later, he he called me, and he said, I need some help. And, and of course, that's the common call sometimes that uh, when they get out of jail, they need someone's help. They're either got in trouble or need money or – but Wayne – uh, Wayne didn't want help for himself. Wayne wanted help to go and minister to the homeless in Houston. And uh, I was really proud of him. He had uh, he had started a ministry just to, to help feed them, uh, to help clothe them. Uh, but at this time, it was getting close to winter. And so he wanted some help to get some sleeping bags and uh and go hand them out to the men that he'd been ministering to and so so we did we went to we went to Walmart bought all their sleeping bags we I think we went to Target bought some sleeping bags I got some out of my attic and uh, me and Wayne went down downtown Houston and uh under some of the bridges and and handed out sleeping bags and while we were handing them out uh he did he knew the men and so he was doing the the witnessing and talking to him about Jesus and praise God and man so that's we, an awesome story we, uh, we're really proud of Wayne yeah uh, are you still in touch with him today or you know this every is once in a while okay. I yeah. hear something yeah. from him and great great uh, the last I heard he was doing real good okay so. well Alan I want to touch on mental health this is a big topic right now and uh, you told me that there'd been a significant increase in inmates with mental health problems over the pandemic period an increase from 20 to 70 inmates or about 10 percent of the jail population now and you have padded cells and things. And so bear with me for a minute because I want to kind of 
lay a foundation here for a psychology argument that I read. These mass shooter events at schools recently have, have highlighted the mental health crisis. Stanford sociologist Mark Granovetter argues that it's a mistake to focus on the decision-making processes of each rioter. He's using riots as an illustration in isolation. In his view, a riot is not a collection of individuals, each of whom arrived independently at the decision to break windows. A riot is a social process. I thought this was fascinating. In which people do things in reaction to and in combination with those around them. Social processes are driven by our thresholds. So when he defines as uh, the number of people who need to be doing something, some activity, before we agree to join them. So in the elegant theoretical model, Granovetter proposes riots are started by people with a threshold of zero. So these folks just can get upset about everything. You know, it's just chaos, anarchy, you know, the anarchists. So instigators will throw a rock through a window at the slightest provocation. Then comes the next person who will throw a rock if someone else goes first. Kind of like when your kid's getting into mischief throwing dirt clods at people <laughs> yeah. or something. Yes. His qualms were overcome when he sees the instigator and the instigator's accomplice. You know, there's a there's the next person. And then next to him is someone with a threshold of three who would never break windows or loot stores unless there were three people right in front of him who were already doing that. And so on, up to the hundredth person, a righteous, upstanding citizen who nonetheless could set his beliefs aside and grab a camera from the broken window of the electronics store if everyone around him was grabbing cameras from the electronics store, too. And that's kind of how it it just deteriorates. You know, mm -hmm. it's like yes. iron turning to rust. So author Malcolm Gladwell argues that school shootings in particular represent a form of slow motion riot because these aren't happening you know, one right after the other, they're, they're all too frequent, and they do kind of follow. But with each new shooter lowering the threshold for the next. So what it takes to get upset enough to go out and do these horrible things is becoming lower and lower in this slow-motion riot analogy. So while every mass shooter is obviously deeply troubled, as the threshold for violence lowers, so does the threshold for grievances or mental dysfunction. He says that the problem is not an endless supply of deeply disturbed young men who are willing to contemplate horrific acts. Mm -hmm. It's worse. <laughs> yes. It's that young men no longer need to be deeply disturbed to contemplate horrific acts. That, that's kind of scary. And, and this is a model for mob rule and the degradation of society, which also seems to fit with your observation of the criminal family culture in our prisons. You know, from what you have observed, would you – agree you think this theory kind of makes sense uh yes i i agree with that that's it's um, a lot of mental problems now we're we're seeing an uprising and um and like you said that probably 10 percent of our jail is is has mental problems uh, a lot of it's from some of it's from drugs um uh, taking drugs and just burning brain cells uh, a lot of it's from the uh, the way of thought that they're raised up with in in their homes, uh, the way they're a lot of them aren't really raised up. Mom and dad aren't there, and they're they're on the streets, and they're um, listening to to music that uh, perpetuates uh, the anger and and uh, lawlessness. Uh, they watch video games and play video games that. Um, they can do whatever, and there's no consequence. It right, seems like, like Grand to, Theft Auto was a very popular one. Right, and um, they're they're bloody. The games are are not like you know Pac Man anymore. Right, uh, they're they're bloody. They're violent. 
Um, and a lot of a lot of these kids are getting into that, and that's what's raising them instead of of parents being there and and uh, helping guide them and instruct them. And so uh, we do we see uh, in our jail more and more of just the violence uh, we have. Where once we had maybe two, I think three padded cells to begin with. Uh, now we, we have about seven or eight. Wow. Uh, I think well, there's eight total, uh, padded cells for those that just come in and for whatever reason, they're just out of, out of their mind and out of control. And, uh, they had to put them in there for their own safety and for everyone else's safety. And so mental illness and, and, um, and what we're seeing in, Society, the shootings, the school shootings, the mall shootings, um, you know, it's, it's not, that's not sanity. No, it's uh, not. And, and we see that uh, sin plays a big part in that, that people just, they don't know how to turn every, everything over to the Lord. They don't, they don't, can't turn that anger over to him uh, because they don't know him. And so it's, it builds up inside them. And, and of course, we see the outcomes in in our society um well so do you you know what do you see in terms of anger in ways that certain groups appeal to justifying that anger uh making matters worse yeah there's a lot of um even religious groups um they they appeal to the anger to revolt against the uh the white man to revolt against the government to revolt against your boss um you know, because you're you're you should be treated better. Or you should be paid more. You should be uh, deserve better. This entitlement um, kind of entitlement. Mindset. Yeah, in our society, it's it's a growing, and it's not just a uh, race problem. It's it's through all um, races, and we have to we have to get control of that. That uh, there's mental problems, and even with religion, we have religions that's. Uh, one of the fastest growing religions, the Muslim religion in in prisons, uh, is not. Uh, they feed off that anger, and and they recruit uh, because they're they're telling these men that you know they're the they're the key, you know. Uh, but really, the key to all their anger issues, to all their uh, problems in life, is to turn their life over to the Lord, and um, and we we see a, a, a really a good approach in prisons now. We have seminaries uh, in uh, Rocheron Prison that's uh, ministering to the men there. They're going through the seminary, and they're going out of that prison to other prisons wow. to minister I, 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 uh, I, 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 to the inmates, and they're helping chaplains all over all over Texas. That's amazing. Um, so, so these guys that are in the padded cells— do you uh, do you minister to them too, or do they, or do they calm down and then they want to see somebody and then they're a little you, more approachable? You do. Uh, you you see um, cycles that they go through. They come in usually really angry. Uh, it's everybody else's fault. It's you know they haven't done anything, and then they uh, they start to get off the drugs or or calm down and realize that um, they are probably the problem and uh and of course they they feel like they're mistreated and and of course i hear a lot you know they're holding me against my will well yes they are they're holding you against your will but uh they're they're holding you to help you and uh our our jails and prisons aren't really rehab centers uh but it's it's um 
hopefully that through Christ we can reach out to these men. The ones in padded cells, I've, I've had them, uh, you know, where they were angry and blaming everyone else. Then they come to the conclusion that uh, they need help. And we have a good mental health program that um, gets some medicines if they need it, uh, counseling. And, of course, we counsel with them and pray with them. And uh, a lot of times it's, it's, again, it goes back to the family problems. And so... So I know there's hard cases. You know, there's there's just jaded, hard-hearted people that are mm-hmm. so difficult to reach, uh, or just angry they got caught, and they view incarceration as a, a criminal college. You know, where they learn from other inmates how to skirt the law or work the system. You know, how, how do you how do you approach a, a hard case like that? Well, the, the the hard cases are you know they're in there all the time. Their recidivism is is constant it's it's terrible now people come in they get out uh, then they're right back in we've had men that were uh, released on Friday and they're back there on Saturday night Man. Uh, yeah. and it's it's um, it's something that you hope there you know each time you talk to them you hope this is the time that they change their life yeah. this is the time that God opens their eyes and they see they need to change, and it's through Jesus. Yeah. Well, God bless you for just keeping keeping after them and giving them that opportunity over and over again. You know, you have other duties in the chaplaincy, like serving as a notary and assisting the inmates with some administrative needs. Does your helping attitude seem to make them more open to to hearing the gospel? Yeah, I, b- I believe they they see us as as a help. Uh, we do the notaries, we do library books, we do hand them Bibles and religious material. Uh, we call sometimes call the families for them. Uh, we um, help them get the the ability to be able to write the writing instruments, paper, uh, different things, addresses, and we answer a thousand questions for them. But uh, they see us as a help, and so uh, I, I don't fear if anyone's going to try to attack me. Right, right. So you say you also uh, serve as counselor to the prison staff because that. That, that can be a, a job that could get <laughs> discouraging. You know, how, how do you help uh, the staff in the system? Yeah, our, our officers really need people praying for them. They, they go through a lot of the same problems we do, but they, they've got added stress working who they're working with. And sometimes it may be a murderer that they're in the same room with uh, all day. And, and so they go through a lot of stress as when they take that stress home to their wives and their kids and and so we we get to counsel them and and um got got a few that we got to do their wedding ceremonies and and it's been uh been good working with the in, the officers it's great it's great that you're also helping the staff because we do need to be praying for them right so I just want to you know thank you for what you're doing you know for your job for your service for twenty years in the Fort Bend county jail system and I know you also interact with the family of inmates, uh, mostly moms or maybe grandmothers, I believe you said. So what's your closing message to the family of inmates who might be in our listening audience? I always tell the grandmothers and moms and sometimes a dad uh, that the best thing you can do for them is pray for them. Uh, they need to, to find that inner help, and, and that comes from knowing Jesus. Uh, to change their life. And that's what the parents want for them. That's what grandma wants for them, is them to do right, change their life, uh, stay out of jail, and it's it's through Jesus. Great. Well, you know, our sponsor, Prism 
services or specialties is, is in the restoration business, just like you're in the restoration <laughs> business, Alan. And they uh, they can help you repair electronics, textiles, artwork that could have been damaged by water, flooding, you know, washing machines, overflowing, that kind of thing. So we, we want to thank Prison Specialties for sponsoring the show. If you got any questions and you want to uh, email me at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com to offer input, suggestions, or feedback on any of our programs. And just real quickly, I'll close this in prayer. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your servant, Alan, and for his witness to these inmates in the system. We know that they're struggling, and we need to pray for them, and we need to pray for their families. We need to pray for their children, who they may not be around, which perpetuates this generational cycle. And we just ask for your hand to be over them at all times. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man with David Savage. For more information, reach out to David at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. That's wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling with the Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.